Well, hello there, and welcome to another edition of Servant's Heart Chapel. I hope uh, this particular episode is a special blessing to you. So let's get right to it. Already at the end of Amos. I wasn't expecting to be wrapping up this soon, but here we are. As I preach through Amos, let's, there are some major themes, major lessons that we gleaned from each and every sermon. In chapter 1, we learn that Israel had forsaken God and worshipped golden calves at both Bethel and Dan, places that should have been reserved for worship of the Lord. In those very places, they worshipped false idols. In chapter 2, we, with chapter two, we learn that Judah was guilty of rejecting God's instruction. Both of those uh, sins, both of worshiping false idols and rejecting God's instructions, are still applicable to us today. Chapter 3, we, we learn that as we have a greater privilege in Christ, we also have a greater responsibility. Chapter 4, we learn that we need to be mindful and, and watchful for hypocrisy in our hearts and lives. Chapter 5, we learn that God's warnings always come with hope. Chapter 6, we learn the danger of being complacent, the danger of being careless with our hearts and with our lives. It's very easy to just not pay attention. And, and we could put ourselves at great risk for doing so. Chapter 7, we learn that God's standards of moral behavior don't change. Civilizations rise and fall. Cultures change. Mores change. But God's moral standards do not change. And that brings us to chapters 8 and 9. But before chapters 8 and 9 really talk about the, the, the judgment that's about to come upon Israel and Judah and also a message of hope at the end. But I felt like for this to really mean something to anybody hearing this sermon, we have to evaluate our thoughts on God. Who is God? Who is God to us? We're studying Proverbs during Connection Group, and we've learned two major lessons in Proverbs. Is The first lesson at the very beginning is that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And then halfway through Proverbs, we discover that wisdom develops our fear of the Lord. To have any inkling of who and what God is, is the beginning of wisdom. And as we grow in wisdom, we further realize who and what God is. And that brings a greater respect, a greater sense of awe and fear and respect for God. What person do you, do you think about when you think of God? 
people it, it, it varies widely on what people think of when they think often it's related to how you thought of your parents if you had a domineering father it's not unusual for a new christian to think that god is domineering or an unforgiving father it's it's easy to think of god as someone who is not forgiving or maybe your parents let you get away with whatever you wanted to do and and you think god is the same way that he's just some gentle old man some old softy that just yeah it's no big deal that won't hold you accountable <clears throat> having an improper respect of a proper understanding of god Can get you in a lot of trouble. This past week, there was a story about a man who paid $150 to have a close uh, contact experience with a Black Panther. It did not go well. The guy was mauled by the Black Panther. You see, he, he failed to have a proper respect for that animal. And many who have failed to have a proper respect for God are going to find themselves in great spiritual danger. But who is God? Who, who, what do we think of Him? I've mentioned before one of the, the, the books that served as a foundation for me um, as a young man, as I was attempting, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to live for Him. I need to, you know, I'm, I'm growing in God and 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 taking time out to to I uh, to develop my relationship with the Lord and and change my behaviors and grow as a Christian. One of those foundational books is called Knowledge of the Holy, and it talks about the different attributes of God. And I was looking it over this morning. How the Bible tells us many things about that God is self-existent. He doesn't need anybody else. He doesn't need us. And God is uh, eternal. Uh, he, he always was and, and always will be. Infinite, everything he does is, is of infinite value. And that's just, obviously, it's fine. Our mind is hard for us to wrap our heads around that reality. And, and God, is, God is omniscient. He, always, he knows everything. He knows everything you've done, everything you said. He knows all about it, everything from the very beginning. In Proverbs, we talked about the, the, the verse uh, that God knows the full extent of hell. As wide and, and 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 massive and complex as that place probably is, and how much more does he know uh, your heart? God is omniscient; he knows all things. God is omnipresent; he's everywhere. Everything we go, we can't go anywhere without God. 
blessing for those who are in dark places and looking for the Lord. They know that God is near. They don't have to go to a certain place to find God. Wherever they are, they, God will be there with them. It's also an uncomfortable idea for those who are trying to run away from God, those who want to forget about God. Wherever you go, there God is. We know that God is faithful. He is true. He's reliable. You can count on Him. God, we know that God is good. No evil in Him. We know God is just. He's fair. God is merciful too. Thank God we have justice and mercy, right? Praise the Lord. God is merciful. God is forgiving. We know God I, I, provides us with grace. God is gracious. He gives us the, the foot up we need constantly, helping us do what we could not do on our own. We know God is love. The attribute that actually says that God is this. God is the very essence, the very core of love. We know God is holy. He's pure. No, God is sovereign. God is ultimately in control of the universe and all things within it. All these things that God is, uh, that's, that's just, you know, the, the very kind of, just the basics, right? The Bible tells us what God is. This, this is. this is God. This is the one. The one that created the universe, created Adam and Eve, saw them fall and said, I'm going to have a plan. I'm going to make a way. I need to be redeemed to me. This is the God I'm talking about. It is this God who... I uh, reveals to Amos the judgment that's coming for Israel and Judah. Beginning with verse 1, the Lord showed me this, a basket of summer fruit. So God showed this vision to Amos of, of fruit. The Lord said to me, he asked me, what do you see, Amos? I replied, a basket of summer fruit. The Lord said to me, the end has come for my people Israel. I no longer, I will no longer spare them. In that day, the temple songs will come become wailing. This is the Lord's declaration: many dead bodies thrown everywhere. Silence. The basket of fruit represents a time of harvest. The fruit is ripe. The fruit of God's wrath. The grapes of wrath. Are ripe. 
and ready to be harvested. Galatians chapter 6. Verses 7 through 10. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. See, we spend our life planting. Everybody, any, every minute that you're given, you're planting, planting something. And you're either planting good or you're planting evil. You're planting either sin or you're planting righteousness. And at some point, the harvest will come. And the Bible says we're going to reap what we sow. At the end of the age, the, the great harvest will happen. In fact, Jesus talked about that in Luke chapter 3. Verses 15 through 17. Now the people were waiting expectantly, and all of them were debating in their minds whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn up with a fire that never goes out. Harvest time is coming. And Christ is going to separate the believers from the non-believers. You're going to receive the harvest of what you've sown. I think it's important to remember that once in a while. This kind of, it's easy to get lost in our day to day activities and be thinking about everything else but the fact that eternity is coming. Some it comes sooner, some it is later. Right? I've known people of all ages to pass, whether trauma or illness. Others live a long time. I was telling Missy, a, a man that, I don't know if she's ever met him, but I, I've met him. Many named Lowell Howard. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's around 105 years old right now. He's still alive. 
But whether you get a short time on earth or a long time, that's up to the Lord. But everybody has eternity. It's, 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 it's so easy to not think about eternity, right? You're worried about work and and what are you going to have for dinner tonight? And uh, maybe have some fun, maybe read a book, maybe play some golf. Uh, um, we, we, we get distracted. Social media, who's saying what? Holiday plans, right? Everything going on. It's, it's, it's important to stop once in a while and just take a breath and just think, the harvest is coming. What am I planting in my life? Am I planting sin or am I planting righteousness? Verse 4, hear this, you who uh, trample on the needy and do away with the poor of the land, asking, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain in the Sabbath so that we may market wheat? Now, sometimes I know when, when, when Scripture is read, it's hard to kind of, it's easy just to skip past it. Maybe you're thinking about something else. So let me repeat that because this is significant. Verse 5, asking, when will the new moon be over so we may sell grain and the Sabbath so we may market wheat? Oh, when's Sunday going to be over? I got things I got to do. When is church over? Someone in church here is or not in church here. Someone who goes to our church is not in church right now because he thinks he's going to make some money today. So he skipped church. And when I see him, he's going, oh, Pastor Daryl, I'm sorry that I had this going on. I wanted to be in church. But no, the reality it, it, see, people don't change. This is from thousands of years ago. They don't see the value in it. Oh, it's an obligation. I've got to do this because everybody expects me to do it. When is it going to be over so I can go live my own life, do what I want to do? And their heart isn't in it, and God notices that. There's no joy. What is our attitude about worship? Continuing on with verse 5, we can reduce the measure while increasing the price and cheat with dishonest scales. We can buy the poor silver and the needy with a pair of sandals and even sell the chaff. They were selling junk. A lot of food in the supermarket is probably equivalent to chaff. It's junk. They're making money off of it. But they were, they, were, they were taking advantage of people. God was reiterating what he's already talked about. They were hurting people and, and making a profit off of that. Verse 7, the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I will never forget all their deeds because of this 
Won't the land quake and though all dwell in it mourn? All of it will rise like the Nile. It will surge and subside like the Nile of Egypt. In that day, I'll make the sun go down at noon and will darken the land in the daytime. Earthquake and darkness. Now, we don't know if, if God brought darkness and an earthquake during the time of Amos. We don't know. But this also prophesies to what happened the day Jesus died. Because Amos, and we'll say later on, we'll see some other prophecies relating to Jesus. So the day Jesus died, there was an earthquake. And there was great darkness in the land. Verse 10, I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will cause everyone to wear sackcloth, every head to be shaved. I will make that grief like mourning for an only son and its outcome like a bitter day. Hear this, the days are coming. This is the declaration of the Lord God. When I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of bread or thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Did you catch that? God was sending a famine, not a bread or a water, but his voice. A famine of hearing his word. And we saw that happen. Not long after this, a couple hundred years maybe, the 400 years of silence began. God did not speak by prophet for 400 years until Jesus came into the world. See, God's, but God was silent because they had rejected the word he had given. He had given them a word, had given them truth, and they rejected that. So God brought them a famine of his silence, a famine of his, of his word. And this is a, serves as a very real warning to those who hear God's truth and reject it. They, they, they don't realize that they only have a, a moment of time to surrender to God, a moment of clarity. I'm reminded of Isaiah. Chapter 55. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. See, there's only certain times where God may be found. There's only certain times where God is near. And if we reject God in that moment of truth, that day of truth, we run the great risk of losing that opportunity to repent. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. I've seen that happen. 
saw that with my own mom. When she was younger, I read letters when she was younger that indicated she, she knew what was right, and then she rejected that, and for years kind of lost that. But thank God she got saved when she was 50. Thank God she had another chance. I know of a woman who, who at one point had surrendered to God and followed after Him, and then there was something in her life that, she, that God put His finger on, and, and she wasn't willing to give up, and so she rejected God at that point. And now seems completely oblivious to that reality. That moment of clarity she had before seems to be gone, for right now at least. We're praying that God gives her another opportunity, another chance. Chapter 9, beginning of verse 1, I saw the Lord stand. There's another vision God gives Amos. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar. That's significant. The altar, this place that either can be a place of mercy or a place of judgment, depending on how you come to it. And the Lord's standing beside it, indicating this is where you meet with God. All of us are going to meet with God at an altar. A place of mercy or a place of judgment, depending on how you come to Him. There's no, no escape. And here, beginning of chapter 9, uh, it says, Strike the capitals of the, of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Knock them down on the heads of all the people. Then I will kill the rest of them with the sword. None of those who flee will get away. None of the fugitives will escape. If they dig down to shoal from there, my hand will take them. If they climb up to heaven from there, I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on top of Carmel from there, I will track them down and seize them. If they conceal themselves from my sight on the sea floor from there, I will command the sea serpent to bite them. If they are driven from their enemies into captivity, from there, from there I will command the sword to kill them. I will fix my eyes on them for harm and not for good. You see, there's no escape from judgment. You can act like you run away from God all you want. Everybody who isn't in church today, they're trying to run away from God. They can't escape God. They can't escape If they don't seek God for mercy, God will seek them for judgment at some point. Verse 5, the Lord, the God of hosts, he touches the earth, it melts, and all who dwell in it mourn. Verse 6, he builds his upper chambers in the heavens and lays the foundation of his vault on the earth. He summons the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. See, God controls everything. Yes, we have natural processes that God has set up, but God, nothing happens without His 
uh, authorization. That's why we continue to pray for rain. God and His sovereign and omniscience has decided uh, that this area not get as much rain as we would like. And, and so we ask Him, continue to ask Him for rain. Verse 7, Didn't I bring Israel from the land of Egypt, the Philistines from Kaphtor, and the Armenians from Kir? Look at the eyes of the Lord God are on this sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. However, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. For I'm about to give the command, and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes a sieve. But not a pebble will fall to the ground. All the sinners among my people who say disaster will never overtake or confront us will die by the sword. And God has certainly allowed the Jewish people over the millennia to suffer like no, no group has. But also survive like no group. God said, I'm going to shake them like Someone's shaking a sieve, you're trying to filter out, you just rattle it. Bring great violence upon the people. But guys, I'm not going to let them die out. And even though they suffered so great, like I'm, I was reading this one article in 135 AD, uh, Emperor Hadrian took over Jerusalem and persecuted the Jews. He posted edicts against practicing Judaism, any infringement brought the death penalty. They were barred from Jerusalem. Anyone trying to enter Jerusalem were killed. And in 1096, Jews were branded as the enemies of Christendom. 12,000 were killed along the Rhine River in Germany. In 1181, King Philip of France banished Jews from his country, stripping them of their houses and land. In 1182, Philip expelled all Jews from the domain and confiscated their goods. In 1189, Richard the Lionheart persecuted the Jews. Most Jewish houses in London being burned to the ground, the people killed, the possessions claimed by the crown. In 1348, Jews were blamed for the Black Plague in, in France, in Europe. And, Twelve thousand Jews were killed from that. In seven, fourteen seventy-eight, during the Spanish Inquisition, three hundred thousand, uh, three hundred thousand were banished from the country, and many more killed. In fifteen twenty, they were banished from Naples, Venice. In 1794, they were restricted in Russia, and Jewish men were forced to serve 25 years in the Russian army. 
1903, new restrictions against Jews broke out in Russia. And of course, between 1933 and 1945, 6 million Jews were killed during World War II. Thousands of years, no country spread out across the world. And they survived. And what's interesting jumping ahead to verse 15 I will plant them in their land and they will never again be uprooted from the land I've given them the Lord your God has spoken and so what happens in 1948 never before that to my knowledge and anyone is welcome to correct me but as far as I know in, in human history never before has a bunch of countries decided oh we need to take this group of people and help them to have their own country, their own space again. That had never happened before. If you wanted a country, you fought for it. You took it yourself. If you were strong enough to take it, you got a country. But here in 1948, they decided to do that. I believe that was God. And they continue to, to strengthen and develop. We have peace talks in the Middle East between the Arabs and, 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 and Israel, which I never thought would happen in my lifetime. More and more Arab states are signing agreements. I don't know what's going to come with it, but I know right now they're looking at increased peace. That's wonderful. But going back a few verses, and as we close this out, Amos, and the whole book is about a warning, right? You have sinned, you turned away from God, and God gave them chance after chance to repent, and they would not repent. So, okay, judgment is here, judgment is coming, but I'm not going to destroy everybody. At the very end, God brings hope, not just for the people of that moment, that time, but this messianic prophecy. Verse 11, I'll restore the fallen booth or fallen house of David and repair its gaps. Verse 12, and that they may possess the remnant of Eden and all the nations that are called by my name. All the nations that are called by the Lord's name, not just Israel. You see a Messiah is coming. And what they didn't get until later on, was that the Messiah was not just for the people of Israel, but the whole world, all of humanity. Jesus is coming. We're getting close to Advent, right? The Advent season. The champion's coming. The day is dark, but the dawn will soon be here.
And right now, right in this place, at this, maybe God has been talking to you about something in your life as I've been preaching through Amos. Maybe there's something that you know you need to fix. You know that you've gone uh, uh, sidetracked on. You're not following what God wants you to do. You're not doing what's right. God has pointed that out to you. I'm going to tell you right now, the altar of mercy is open. Anytime you cry to God, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I have sinned against you. I have done wrong. And thanks to what Jesus did for us. We can be forgiven. And we can have a right relationship with God. And with the Bible says, and there's no condemnation for those who believe. You believe there's no condemnation. You're not condemned. You're not sentenced. And that means if maybe there's something in your life you, know, you messed up on. You knew it was wrong and you did it. It's not what you, you like to do. You don't do it normally. Do not let the devil tell you, oh, you must not be a Christian anymore. That's not how it works. You confess and forsake. God just doesn't sit there with a pen ready to mark you out of the book of life the moment you do something you're not supposed to do. You know what he does? You know the Bible says this happens? God will punish you. He'll spank you. The Bible talks about that. So you might get spanked. But unless you completely reject God and say, you know what, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I don't care anything about God anymore. You're not going to be out of under His grace. Praise the Lord. Thank God for His Word. Let's heed the warnings. Let's follow the Lord. Praise well, I hope Let's you enjoyed uh, today's episode. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at ServantsHeartChapel at gmail.com. Also, we have a website, ServantsHeartChapel.org. Um, we also have a Facebook page. So you're welcome to check us out. I'd love to hear from you, prayer requests, anything you may need. We are here for you. Have a wonderful and blessed day.